BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I've been accused of crying wolf for years, but the wolf is at the door now, so uh, we have to do something about it. It's left schools scrambling and parents in disbelief. Fields remain empty, no one is in the stands, dozens of games have been canceled, and not a single player is sick. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hey, Brian. Hey, Amanda. It is Thursday, October 21st. And here for his Open Record debut, believe it or not, his first time, we have Fox 6 anchor Ben Handelman. Hey, Ben, welcome to Open Record. Woo! First time in the podcast, long-time listener. Hey, guys. Ben, it's great to have you on, and, uh, and, and I can't believe it's taken this long to get you on the podcast, but we have a story we're going to talk about today that uh, you and I can both relate to. Um, and, but before we get into that, because this is your first time on Open Record, we want to just fill listeners in a little bit more about who you are. We know you're uh, a Fox 6 News anchor, but your journey to Fox 6, your journey to the anchor chair, tell us a little bit more, more about Ben Handelman. Well, how far back do we want to go? I don't know. I mean, let's go back to... Uh, <laughs> How about how about uh, childhoods uh, in in New England? Tell me about that. Okay, grew up in uh, Northwest Connecticut, in the woods of New England and Connecticut. Uh, went to college at Quinnipiac University, which is a college. Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac. Yes. For years, when there were polls, and I would say Quinnipiac, I was the moron who didn't know how to say. Yes. Quinnipiac. Yes. Yeah, I okay. used to brag about our polls, but. Um, you don't really brag about polls anymore because they, the accuracy has been a little off the last few uh, presidential elections. But, uh, yeah, we do have a poll at Quinnipiac. We have a really good ice hockey team. That's what a lot of people know Quinnipiac for. And what is the mascot for Quinnipiac? Uh, we, it's uh, the Bobcats. The Bobcats. Okay. All right. So Boomer the Bobcat is the actual mascot. So if we and did you really study specific. journalism there or what did you I study? I was a broadcast Quinnipiac? journalism major, yes, at the Ed McMahon School of Journalism. Ed McMahon? No kidding. Ed McMahon went to Quinnipiac? And no, Ed McMahon did not go to Quinnipiac. He had like a relative who went to Quinnipiac and he gave all sorts of money to just have a school named after him. I also somehow don't think of Ed McMahon as like the bastion of journalism. <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes very little sense. So yeah, it's no Medill or, uh, you know, something with, you know, a name of a great journalist that everyone knows about. But. So what you should have opened this podcast with was a hey <laughs> But uh, my first TV job, so like everybody else, I, I sent resume tapes out all over the country, uh, got one reply in Springfield, Illinois, took the job without ever seeing the TV station. I decided if I hate it, I'll just quit, but I didn't hate it, so I stayed there for a year and a half. They promoted me to a weekend anchor at their sister station um, across the state in Champaign, which is strangely the same TV market. Uh, it covers a large area. So went over. They, uh, I could get into why there's two TV stations in one market, but they had two TV stations in one market. 
Um, so I went over the champagne to a little tiny TV station that actually uh, no longer does news. They actually moved all the news into the Springfield, Illinois station. Then Handelman left and they said, forget it. <laughs> We're closing <laughs> no up No more shop. news. Yeah. Um, but I got the job here at Fox 6 10 years ago. It's been a decade that I've been at Fox 6. I've done every shift. I started as the weekend morning anchor. Uh, worked my way into weekend night anchor, and the last oh two years or so, I've been doing the evening gig. So uh, I've done it all here at Fox Six, and I'm married to Fox Six's Ashley Sears, a fellow reporter. We actually met down in Champaign. We were yeah, competing. You came, you came to Fox Six as a package deal, as I recall. Well, uh, not exactly. Ashley, it took Ashley uh, a year after I got here. Just is, my recollection is that poor. I w- my memory was you came together, so it wasn't at the same time. Well, most people don't remember remember us apart. But yeah, I did spend uh, a whole year of my life going every weekend from Milwaukee to Champaign to see Ashley. Um, and yeah, we're blessed that we're at the t- same TV station now because when we met, we were competitors, so. That's fun. Now we're no longer competitors. We don't have to fight. I mean, we we literally got in the fights when we were in central Illinois about stories because <laughs> I would not want to tell her things because I knew she would do the story. So that was a, a weird time in our relationship. Now now your fights are just about whose turn it is to change the diaper. The diaper so. <laughs> yes, and we do have a, I have a one-year-old daughter who you probably can hear in the background background here, Amelia. Uh, So our life is uh, very busy right now. Well, unfortunately for us, you're a talented anchor, but you also make it a point to get in the field to do stories. And your latest story, I think, really hit home for a lot of people. So what sparked your interest in doing a story about youth sports? I'm going to be honest, this story surprised me because I wasn't expecting to find out some of the information that I found out just going into this journey. So Brian knows this, but ever since, even back uh, when I was in Connecticut, since uh, basically middle school, I've been high school soccer refing. It's just something that I don't even remember how I got into it. I'm sure someone there was. I didn't know you refed back that far. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was like the kid when I was a soccer player, I would do like the, you know, the U7 games and the, 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 you know, it, it wasn't a career choice back then. I wasn't really that into it. But I mean, I had experience from doing it as a lot of kids do, where some parents like, hey, we need some refs. Will you get uh, signed up? And I got signed up probably, I mean, maybe, I can't remember if it was middle school or high school, but I do remember doing the, you know, I was like, one kid with the little kids who have no idea how to play soccer with a whistle in my hand. Um, And I did a few games back then, but then I really got into soccer refing when I was in college because I thought it would be the most glorious college job ever just to roll out of bed and make money just, you know, doing men's league games I used to do when I was in college or I did some high school games. Um, And for some reason, it's always stuck with me. So I did it when I was in Illinois as a reporter on the weekends. I would sign up and do some high school games. And then I moved to Wisconsin and didn't soccer ref for probably six years. I I hung up my whistle. And I just, part of me, there's always a need for soccer officials. I thought I would do it. Me and Ashley had different days off, and I was kind of bored on my days off. I'm like, I should get back into it. There's such a need for it. Got back into it. And so for uh, two years or so, I was doing 
high school soccer games, uh, a WIA official. And so this story started because there is always, I mean, even back when I was uh, in college in Connecticut, there has always been a need for soccer refs. I mean, there's just, people are always begging people, please, we need people on the field. But I noticed, I'm still getting the emails, even though I kind of uh, haven't been able to ref the last year because of the this job and I have a new kid. So it's been hard to get on the soccer pitch. But I still get the emails and I noticed that the emails started to get more dire and more frequent. So I would open up my email every day and I would see these emails from soccer assigners saying things, words I've never seen before, like, we will have to cancel these games if nobody can sign up. And there'd be a list of like six games for that day. And I was like, wow, this is a new, I mean, we've gotten to a point, this is, it seems like it's never been this bad before. So that's kind of where the story started and where it went was, I, I think, even more eye-opening than I realized. Well, Ben, I, it's funny because I've not refereed, but I've played soccer for a very long time and I coach my son's team. And, and what we're hearing is when referees show up, he plays U14 soccer. Now, when the referees do show up, we're finding that most weekends they just pick the game up that morning or they might have picked it up the day before, and they're often five or ten minutes late because they're driving you know, halfway across Ozaki County to try to get from one game to the next because they just picked up. So they're getting a lot of games to referee, but in, in some cases they're being, as you said, desperately begged for it. But this isn't just a soccer story, and that's what I thought was so remarkable about your story. This is across the board with sports officiating, youth sports officiating in Wisconsin. There is a massive shortage right now. What I didn't realize is, yeah, I mean, this is touching every single after-school sport you can think of. I mean, even cross-country, <laughs> you're like, oh, I didn't think that's not something you think of with officials. But, yeah, there's someone who needs to be the timer and the it's an official event. They're seeing a shortage. Swimming, track and field, wrestling. I mean, every single sport in Wisconsin is seeing a massive shortage and the numbers are just so crazy. Last year the WIAA, the excuse me, the WIAA, they said they had about 9,000 officials statewide. And that was not a good year. They were kind of that they were low then. They were already sounding the alarm before the pandemic at that 9,000 level, right? Right, right. And they were having problems filling all of their events. So the pandemic happens, everybody shuts down, a lot of schools canceled sports last year. So it was kind of an off year, right? So they come back this year, everybody's back. August of this year, the WIAA says they only had 6,000 officials statewide. So more than 3,000 officials just in the last year have disappeared. And now we've hit crisis mode for all of these events because really for the first time, uh, there are games every single night of the week, no matter what the sport is, being canceled across the state of Wisconsin. And really, this is a national issue, too. It's not just happening here uh, because there's no longer enough officials to cover all of the events for after school sports. So besides the pandemic, what's going on that's contributing to this shortage? Yeah, that's the million dollar question, right? Where did everybody go? Why is no one signing up? And when I did the story and I talked to some longtime officials. I talked to Jeff Rebar, who's been a WIAA soccer official for 40 years. 
He's been assigning referees for 30 years, and he says, this has been a long time coming. They've seen this gradual decline, and even they admit that the issues are many. That There's the obvious issue that people yell at referees, right? And it's not such a fun job to do uh, sometimes with parents and coaches. But I will tell you, as someone who was a referee in Connecticut back in college or even high school, you know, when I was in high school, people have always yelled at referees and parents and coaches have always been pretty nasty to referees. I think the issue on that front maybe a little bit is all of this now is on cell phone um, and that doesn't help recruiting new referees. Uh, but the biggest issue by far is that the population of people, for some reason, who officiate high school referees tends to be a very old population now. These guys have done it forever. They're in their 60s. They're in their 70s. I talked to one high school soccer referee from my game who was 84 and refing six days a week. And they've been doing it for a long time. And the biggest problem is there are no young people signing up to be high school reps. So these guys are getting older and now they're retiring and there has not been this new flood of referees needed to keep all these events going. And we keep talking about soccer because that's my background and Brian plays soccer, but this is happening in every sport. So Well, and you look at that, that you talk about the age and I think about the pandemic hits and who did the pandemic hit hardest? It hit people who were older. And so I can imagine there were a lot who were already on the fence about whether they should keep doing this who that comes around and they say, this is a good time. This is a good time to be done and to move on. And I'm guessing that a lot of them just haven't come back since the pandemic. You know, it's kind of funny because maybe this isn't an, a high school soccer official issue either. It's an everything issue. We go out. I went to Qdoba yesterday and I'm like, where is everybody? And I think... I mean, everyone's trying to figure that out, right? Where are all the truck drivers? Why do these ports can't get their goods shipped? Where did everyone go? And Brian, you said it. I think a lot of people had some time off to reflect on their lives when they were at home. And I think some people just didn't go back to work. I can say there's some colleagues even in this business that I know who pandemic hit. They left their job. They our summer stay-at-home moms, they're not going back because they, they're now valuing that time with their family. Other people realize they didn't actually like their job that much when they got, when now they're reflecting. So they're kind of just, you know, at home thinking about, well, maybe I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. And when it comes to high school soccer referees or uh, high school swimming officials or football referees, I think the same thing's happening. I think a lot of people went home on that year off and they're like, you know what? I'm ha I'm happy uh, not on the field. I I've done it so many years. It's time for someone else to do it. And this is an issue that's so much bigger than the inconvenience of a, a canceled game or a canceled meet. Because I know when I've been talking to parents and students uh, about the the mental health component of the pandemic and getting back, a lot of them cited youth sports as something. They were excited to get back into, not just for the exercise, but for the mental health of their kids and for the lessons you learn through youth sports. So this isn't just, oh, some, some families are inconvenienced by a canceled game here and there. Yeah, kids are so happy that sports are back. And I think a lot of people, especially when I was talking to people for this story, they'll tell you, um, 
you don't realize how much how important it is until it's gone and everyone is so grateful that after school sports exist it's something that it's kind of in the fabric of our DNA in our country that when you go to high school there's going to be these opportunities to do things after school um and suddenly everybody's back nobody's sick and these opportunities are being taken away from kids because the adults aren't signing up to be officials or refs you know ben i i you have played the game in addition to refing it and and for anyone who's played sports i think there's a, a a real uh, you can relate to this idea that there's nothing that ruins the excitement and anticipation you have of game day more than nobody shows up to ref the game and maybe you've got a scrimmage or maybe well we'll just kind of play a friendly or something it's you think it's about the game but for as much grief as players parents and coaches give to sports officials it's no fun without the officials there you, and obviously, when you're talking sanctioned games like high school games, it's not an official game without the officials there. But having officials, whether it's hockey, soccer, wrestling, basketball, having the officials there is what makes it fun. Right, yeah. I mean, you need that arbiter to the guy who really has no stake in the game to to show up. And it's the person who makes it happen, really. I mean, he's the if, if you take the official out of the game... You, it, it's it's really separate from you and your friends just showing up on a Saturday, and this is really something more important and more structured. And yeah, I mean, you said it best, Brian. I mean, it's just not the same, and I don't think it can be done without officials. And that's why they're so valued. I mean, if you talk to any uh, high school or the WIAA, they're an integral part, and these are people who have thick skin and get yelled at, yet they know how important they are. Uh, it's one of the reasons I was a high school soccer official for so many years. Um, it's kind of, it's not charity. I mean, you do get paid for these games, um, but it is an integral part of giving back to the sport that you love because it doesn't happen without officials. So, And I, I think what, what gets lost is that youth sports are a part of education. So it's funny that you mentioned cross country because I ran cross country. I was terrible at cross country. It was, it was a really big day the first meet that I did not finish last. But I often say that doing cross country was one of the biggest parts of my education because it was good for building grit and for this type A perfectionist over here to do something I was terrible at and have to work really hard at. And you watch your time improve. And as you're doing that and you're going through each meet and you're watching that and you're achieving a goal and you see what it's like to struggle to get somewhere, that was the biggest part of my education. And a big part of that, of course, was at those meets and having the time recorded for those meets. And if we didn't have anyone there to do that, a huge part of my educational experience is gone. And that was sobering to think about. And it's what I was thinking about as I was watching your story. Yeah. And what I hope this story tells people is that, I mean, everyone has known that there's been, especially if you're close to games, that there's been this shortage of officials over the years. But I hope the story comes across that they have now reached a breaking point. Now, tough decisions are being made every single day by people about which games get played and which don't. And the trend is not going in the right direction. So this problem is only going to get worse. I talked to one team that I was out at their game. Uh, They had two games canceled so far this fall. And next year it might be four or six or eight or seasons are getting canceled 
or the whole structure is going to have to change um, because there just aren't enough people. And every year that we go on, if more people don't sign up, obviously the issue doesn't get better. So Well, that raises that question, Ben, of what's the solution to this? Because you talked about the fact that in general, referees tend to be older and there aren't a lot of young people signing up. First of all, I want to, it it begs the question, why? Why aren't young people getting into sports officiating like they used to? Or have young people never really gotten into it? It's always been the people don't start doing this until they get, get into their later years and have a little more free time. I mean, is there something about this generation that makes sports officiating less attractive? The WIA told me a incredible statistic that for every 10 officials, new officials that they sign up, after two seasons, only two of them are still left officiating. And they asked all these referees, why did you leave the game or why did you stay in it? Um, and the biggest reason that people say that they leave the game is because of the unruly behavior by parents, coaches, and some of the players. But again, I will say that it's not an easy job. So a lot of people and people have always been yelled at. So I don't think the retention rate has ever been that great for officiating because you really have to grow some thick skin and really have to be passionate about your sport uh, to stay on the field. Um, So it's never been easy. And somehow the WIAA and schools need to find a solution to get past that to make keep kids on the field. So I would also say I don't I think the schools and the state could probably do a better job of marketing this problem. I mean, are we going to get to a point where you have you have to require a certain number of your parents to sign up to be officials because otherwise the sport's not going to happen? I don't there's no easy solutions, right? Cuz you're asking people to take time out of their life to go to a game where their kids aren't at. Um is is there is there an element here, and I hate to put it this way, because then this becomes a whole different conversation. But are young people today just a little softer? They just don't want to be have their feelings hurt. They don't want to be yelled at. They don't want to be in the middle of a controversy. After all, there's so many more easy things they could do. Is it that, or is it something else? Is it just that there are so many other ways to make money? That why do I need to go spend a couple of hours this weekend to make, you know, 25 bucks or 30 bucks at a soccer game. I, is, is it that? I, you know, there, there obviously has to be something that's driving people away in ways that, that it didn't before. I was going to say, Brian, at the beginning of that question, you were dangerously close to sounding like a boomer. Well, but, but, <laughs> but, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm just asking that question because if, the, if you're saying, you're saying, Ben, that it's always been this way in terms of parent behavior and, and people harassing referees, maybe it's getting worse or maybe, maybe, like you said, it's just because we have cell phones around so we get to see more of it. Um, is it just, though, that, you know, that the young people signing up today leave more quickly because, hey, I don't have to put up with that and, and maybe in the past they felt it. I, I don't know. There's something to it and I don't know what it is. But clearly, most refs who, who start leave and, and then, like you said, what was it, 8 and 10 are, are leaving after a couple of years. Right. Yeah, I, that's a really good question and one that's been brought up with a lot of people. Like, has our, uh, have people changed just as who we are that, uh, you know, the old days, everyone would sign up, they'd stick with it. And now, yeah, they are leaving. And there are a lot of more options for kids. And they all have cell phones and they get to see what all their friends are doing. And a lot of their friends aren't on the soccer field for a whole day on Saturday. And maybe, you know, I don't know if that's playing into it a little bit. But I will say for kids, the money is still pretty good. I mean, 
I think for a high school soccer referee, you spend two hours out of varsity game, you're getting like 60 five bucks sometimes we're talking like 30 bucks an hour to not work you're not really working you're running around with a whistle in your mouth you're getting yelled at occasionally and you're helping these sports happen so i mean that money would still attract me as a college student um or definitely as a high school student um but yeah it's a good i don't this is the the everyone's scratching their heads of how do we get more people to sign up and stay and as we said there's no like if there was an easy solution they would have fixed it a long time ago i will say you talked about the marketing i do also wonder about the availability of classes and things to train new officials and i say it for this reason so when i was working on a story just in the last couple of years about the harassment of sports officials I actually wanted to get video of a sports officials class where some new officials were being trained. And the response I got from the soccer referees was, oh, we don't have another one of those until next fall. That was months away at the time. And I thought, well, then, of course, you're not going to have new referees. You don't even have training classes available. Is there some concern there that they need to step up the availability of these kinds of classes and things to get more people in? Well, and I will tell you what you're talking about, Brian, is is club soccer, which is different than the WIAA, which is high school soccer. And here's how you become a high school soccer, a soccer referee or any official that is so different than your club. You a you go on the WIAA website, you send them money. And it's not it's a small fee. They then do a background check on you. I mean, they use your money for things. They do a background check on you. Then they ship you a rules official book, and then you go online and you take an open book test. And when you pass that open book test, you are now a licensed official in the state of Wisconsin. There is no uh, classes that you need to take that I think is a misconception uh, for a lot of people to be a high school official, which is different than if you were a is, club. Am I crazy or does that seem a little bit backwards? Like that seems like that would be a higher level of competition than some of these, you know, like, you know, rec soccer games. It, of U- exactly. U-10. In the rec soccer games, you have to go to multiple classes. Sometimes it's a full day on a Saturday. There's a written test. There's usually a field element to it. Uh, that's for, you know, when you're going to your youth U12 soccer game, U14, your club games, those soccer referees, and the referees tend to be younger kids that are going through these classes. But to be a high school referee, you really don't need to do a whole lot to get on the field. Now, you, you send us money, we'll send you a whistle. Right. Well, yeah, you have to buy all the stuff yourself, but you'll make that back pretty quick to in high school soccer games. Now, once you do, you, you get your patch and you've taken your open book test, you then, I mean, because that's a, a lot of people, how do you become a referee? So that's step one, you get, a, you get licensed. Step two is you find an assigner, which any high school, you just call a high school and they will point you in the right direction for who does their, you know, who they, they work with assign, these guys that are called assigners that assign large groups of referees, they will find you. And those assigners will not put a new referee on a varsity soccer match. You know, you'll start on a freshman game or something. But to get on the field to be a WIAA official, you do not have to take these large, long courses. It's basically a – and I don't think a lot of people realize how easy it is to become an official, and they'll take you. They need bodies right now. 
Having worked on this story, Ben, are there any angles you're looking at that you'd like to explore in the future? There's there's always so much stuff that doesn't make it into our stories or so many questions that you'd like to get answers to, but maybe it doesn't fit, you know, that one particular story. Right. Well, this conversation is a, is really kind of where this is going, because what are the solutions and what are people going to do? Because they know the problem. Everyone, uh, those who are closest to these games know the problem. We don't have officials. We don't have people running our events. And now they've got to come up with a solution. So that's where the story is going. What is the solution? You're going to see them try stuff. What is it? I don't know. But things are going to happen. And if it doesn't work, then nobody knows what the future of youth sports will be in Wisconsin. That's as good a time as any for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more personal and have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared. I'm getting the grammar right on that. To ask that question, we welcome once again executive producer Sarah Smith. What's going on, Smitty? What's happening? I have to say, Um, real quick, I want to call back to a previous off-the-record question where we talked about writing pet peeves. And it it relates to the story you did, Ben, because my pet peeve is when people misuse the term official, where like often it becomes like shorthand for anyone in charge, right? Officials say blah, 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 blah. And I have a college professor in my ear threatening to fail us if we ever use the word official unless we mean a referee. So your story, correct use of officials all the way through, it made me happy call back to previous off the record questions. <laughs> That's so nerdy that I love it. I almost I almost brought up another off the record question about candy bars, but I'll leave that one. People can go figure that one out. Okay. Um today's question is also having to do it is spooky season, right? Halloween's coming up. I know. Um, okay, so today's question is what is your most irrational fear? Ooh. So think about it. I'll go first. My most irrational fear are car washes, but very specifically the ones where you drive into them and then put your car in neutral and it moves you through. I hate them. Like when I would cry as a kid, (laughs) even thinking about them, like I get a little welled up. Like there's something about the lack of control of putting my car in neutral and letting this thing just push my car through i have this fear that i'm gonna slam into the back of the car in front of me i I don't know it'll never happen it's never happened i have no reason to fear this but i only go into car washes where i can pull in and put it in park and the thing moves around me so that's my irrational fear Boy, I keep stalling every time we do these because I have to think yeah, for a really Brian, long time. Brian, I think you should have to go next because you've gone I, last on like every I'll question. Go, I mean, like, so the first thing I think of is what are my fears? But then I go, but are those irrational? I don't know if they're irrational. I mean, like, I'm not a particularly fearful person. I'm I like I, I heights don't bother me. Um, and in fact, uh, my, my wife and I went to. Uh, uh, Puerto Vallarta a couple of years ago and went on one of the excursions, the little adventures they do, the zip zip line tour. And um, my wife does have a particular fear of heights, but she agreed like, okay, let's do this together and I'll be brave for you. And and it absolutely was an excruciatingly terrifying experience (laughs) for her, but she did it. But these zip lines got progressively higher 
and then progressively lower as you went through the series of them. The highest one was 700 feet over a ravine, which I later informed her is taller than the St. Louis Arch. She's been with me to the St. Louis Arch. We went again recently and she looked at it and said, I cannot believe you put me through that. Um, but she did. She must I, love I, you. I, on the other <laughs> hand, the, the, the guy who's the guide who you go with on the zip line, he said, do you want to like, like go hands free and go upside down? I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. And I didn't think twice. I don't know that, yeah, I mean, there's no OSHA in Mexico. I don't know how safe <laughs> these zip lines were, but I didn't have any fear of it. After the fact, I look back and go, oh, that could have been disastrous. <laughs> but in the moment, I didn't have it. So I, do I have, I mean, I don't like spiders, but I don't think that's an irrational fear. I'm just creeped out by them. It's more, I'm to really me, irrational fears are more like things that you, in your head, like, if I sneeze in the car, I'm going to open my eyes and there's just going to be a giant crash. Like, I'm just going to cause a 17-car pileup. That'll never happen, right? So, well, like, those happened. are kind of things. Okay. All right. Details there, Amanda. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> like things that I think of that I'm like, a car wash, that seems so silly, you know? Here's the problem. We work in an industry where we see the worst case scenario and every freak accident of everything. So I don't know that they're fears, but I, for everything, have zero problem imagining the worst case scenario freak accident because chances are I've reported on it. So if I hear a sound in our house late at night, I just assume someone's breaking in. It's not that I'm like paralyzed by fear. It's just... Uh, I, we see all those things. I'm potty training a two-year-old right now. She has a fear of sitting on the toilet. I think that's pretty irrational, but she's two. Um, <laughs> yeah. So most things going on. She could fall in. That's a, that's yeah. a real fear. No, she has like, like one of those special seats. It's so, but she just. They still have little baby bums. They yep, could, you exactly. don't know where that pipe goes. Exactly. Anyway. But I get very like, I have a hard time. If I know something bad is happening, even in like, a Disney movie, I get very, like, tense. I don't like watching scary things. I don't like being scared. I don't even like, like, when you know everything's going to be okay, like, just that that tension there. But I don't know if it's because I'm scared of it. I think it's just that's my mind just always goes to the the worst possible thing. And then my husband's super, like, laid back about that like oh this will never happen so between the two of us we probably have like a you know a healthy parenting style because he's like so far on the other end i'm gonna give ben another moment to think because i this this one has come to me and i know this is good this one's gonna seem like it's sort of like car washy where you're like well that that's a fear and this is gonna sound irrational but it's just true i have a great fear of like if you like say you're you're at you're at a bar and you're among you're among friends or other people and you I, I don't want to order like a drink and not know what's in the drink or, not, or like or someone comes to my house and they're like hey can you mix me whatever and not know how to make what should be a common drink like I I've been in Wisconsin long enough I need to know how to make an old fashioned know how to make it right you don't I was gonna say this is the most Wisconsin uh, irrational fear ever. <laughs> That you won't know how to make alcoholic beverages. <laughs> but no, but it, it's it's not so much that I need to know how to make them. It's that I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm talking about. And so I have studied the proper way to make an old fashioned and 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 muddle and do you muddle the rind or not or all these sorts of things because I don't want someone to look at me and think this guy doesn't know how to make an old fashioned. And why would that matter? I'm not from Wisconsin originally. You wouldn't think I'd be expected to know. But I feel like that's one. I don't want to be caught 
with my pants down, not knowing how to, you know, make something everybody else goes, ah, we all know that. I don't know how to make it old fashioned. The next thing you're going to say is you're scared that your cheese curds won't be squeaky enough. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ben, do you have anything? I feel like I should have something brat related after that uh, little segue <laughs> there, but uh, I think I fear that I will finally get my one-on-one -on -one chance with David Gruber, like maybe in an elevator, <laughs> and I won't be able to say anything. No, I don't know about that. I will tell you, uh, as far as irrational fears, I'm going through the new parent irrational fear. I mean, every new parent goes through, I mean, you put your kid down to sleep and then you stare at them because you think they're not going to wake up, that yeah, you've done something yeah. wrong. Every, I think when you're a new parent, everything you do, you think you've done it wrong. And so you have the fear that, oh my, oh my gosh, did I pick her up too hard? Is her arm going to fall off now? Um, now we're going through the... Uh, you know, I have to feed my child three nutritious meals a day. It's no longer just the formula. I can't even feed myself three meals a day. And so now I have this irrational fear that whatever I'm feeding her is going to just screw her up because I haven't made the correct nutritious meal. I don't know. Being a parent's terrifying. So everything is scary right now. Let me tell you that as they, when they get older, because I'm on sort of the other end as I have one in college and another one who's in, in ninth grade, is what you find later is your fears were warranted. You screwed them up, but there's nothing you can do about it now. <laughs> so you just take Balance. what's left. Tell them to send you, you their that, therapy you know. bill. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. By the way, I have a David Gruber story real quick because um, it, you mentioned like not knowing what to say. I, it, this was many years ago. Is actually the, it was seven years ago because it was the first year I met uh, Denise. And that's uh, my wife. And uh, we were at the Emmys, uh, the Emmy, ceremony, Emmy Awards in Chicago. And we're walking through sort of its cocktail hour before things get started. And, and I said, excuse me, I'm going to go use the restroom. And I, I went into the restroom and none other than David Gruber was standing next to me at a urinal and what struck me and I didn't say it but what struck me in my head immediately was he was he was the, at the stall next to me one stall that's all that's I have thought about that ever since I didn't say it but I thought if I said this out loud right now how would he respond he's probably heard it well right but would he laugh or would he roll his eyes my thinking is probably more the. and the if you're rolling, listening so. and don't know who we are talking about if if you live in wisconsin you know exactly what we are talking about but for our out-of-state listeners because we do have a few just very famous commercial in wisconsin david gruber one call that's all and by the way if you're outside of wisconsin you probably thought i was talking about hans gruber from die hard entirely <laughs> different very person. different very different. One, that's one fall, that's all, but it's a whole different story. Oh, all right. If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on Open Record or an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email. You can send your emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that is fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to all of the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and of course, executive producer Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Ben, it's been great having you on for your maiden voyage in Open Record, and we look forward to having you back again. It's great. Bring me back. With that, I'm Brian Polson for Amanda St. Hilaire. We'll be back again next week. Next week.